know we keep saying the same thing, but if you don't have sales leaders and sales enablement in the boat, what I find is about 20% of the sellers out there, you show them this kind of stuff, it's like, got it, you never see them again. 20% is just not in their DNA. I don't care what you do, it's not gonna happen. So it's really that 60% in the middle that you really have got to have that nourishment to help them, but they can do it. We've seen it too many times. Hi friends, welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Stephen Tim. He's the founder and president at Finlistic Solutions and co-author of a new book with our other guest today, Melody Astley, who is the chief revenue officer at Finlistic Solutions. And they're joining me today to talk about their new book, which is titled Insight-Led Selling, Adopt an Executive Mindset, Build Credibility, Communicate with Impact. In our conversation today, we're talking about insight-led selling, what it means, and what it means also to sell with impact. We get right to the root of the problem. As Stephen and Melody speak to the topics right at the beginning of their book when they write, quote, the salesperson should be more interested in learning about my business instead of telling me about theirs. So we talk about research from their book that finds that only 19% of sales managers believe their sellers are trusted advisors. So you think about that. If so few managers think their sellers are trusted advisors, what percentage of advisor, uh, what percentage of buyers, excuse me, think the same thing? Well, we'll get into that. And we dive into three things that buyers want from sellers today. That they uncovered through their research and writing the book. One is to learn something from you that they don't already know, to demonstrate that you can help them achieve their desired business outcomes, and to make their life easier. So again, to all of this and much, much more, but before we get to Stephen and Melody, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could leave us a review, give us your feedback about how we're doing. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Stephen and Melody, welcome to the show. Hi, Andy. Both joining us from the Atlanta area today. That's right. Hot Atlanta. Is it? Is it today? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Um, that's more figuratively speaking. Yeah, that's, that's a great town. Um, I was telling Melody before Stephen, you joined us. I, back in the nineties, spent a lot of time in Atlanta. Uh, it's, I was trying to remember, I had some favorite places to go, but we were up in the Northern suburbs most of the time, uh, with the business I was doing. So not a lot of town, town time, excuse me, downtown, like in Buckhead or those areas. So anyway. Uh, welcome. So we're going to talk today. Well, before we get go started on that, is why don't you tell us a little bit about yourselves and the work that you do? Then we'll talk about your new book. Great. Okay, uh, Melody, you want sure. to go first, please? Sure. Um, well, I have been with Finlistics for about nine years now, and I'm responsible for sales and marketing across the company. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very good. And Stephen. Yep, and I'm the uh, founder of Finlistics. I founded it about 20 years ago, and uh, what we did originally is consult for companies out of the Fortune 500s on improving processes, uh, making more money. My background's I'm a finance type, mm-hmm. and uh, I had this epiphany um, in the 2000s that well, if these are the w- these are the ways that companies run themselves. Why wouldn't enterprise sellers be thinking the exact same way as as the executives? So. What I do now is I focus on our strategy and thought leadership, those type of things. So having a great time. So you work with companies 
with our sales teams, your services. So describe your services that you offer. Melody, you're our VP of sales and marketing. Go for it. We uh, work with uh, sales leaders, right? Because we believe that any kind of sales transformation starts at the top and needs that sponsorship. So sales leaders, um, sellers are our users, uh, sales enablement leaders to uh, roll out programs to help their sales and marketing organizations better understand their customer. And we talk about that from an outside-in orientation. So often sellers just come in and think, okay, here's what's on the truck. These are the features, speeds and feeds functions. This is my technical jargon around this conversation. And what we see consistently is it does not resonate with these executive buyers. They get deferred or they get shoved out the door, right? So actually it can create brand problems for these companies. Oh, absolutely. So how do you... How do you tool up and how do you provide the change in mindset and behavior for these organizations to transform and understand from the client's perspective how they buy, how are they measured, how do they set goals and strategies, how do they budget, how do they prioritize, and how does that vary across different buyers, right? Mm -hmm. We see now, and, and it's part of the consumption economy, right? Everything is, is cloud-based, subscription-based, so the time to value is so much faster and switching costs are so much lower. lower right. So what you see because of that is there are more stakeholders in every deal than ever before, right? The, the, end, yep. business the end business users involved. Um, IT's often involved. CFO's often involved. And each one of those roles is measured and cares about different things. So how do you figure out quickly how to, how to attach value in a way that resonates with them? Mm -hmm. That's what we do. And to add to that, these buying groups are much further down uh, the buying journey before they even want to talk to a salesperson. So you got to be more relevant now than ever. And Andy, real quick, uh, we're always doing surveys and polls, right, and what right. we we did one about, you know, how well does your sales force know your your customers? And uh, only about twenty percent said, "Hey, we consider ourselves trusted advisors." Um, 40 something percent said, well, even if we know their goals, we don't ha know how to align our solutions. Uh, and about another 40%, you know, the, the numbers aren't going to add up exactly, but another 40%. Well, yeah, I've got the numbers um, from your book. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. It's like they, they promote still promoting features and functions. They're like, what the heck? So anyway. Well, yeah, I was, I wanted to get into that and uh, have, maybe we can do that now. Cause I was going to talk about it later, but yeah, you, you have the survey you cite in the book that. Only 19% of sales managers believe their sellers are trusted advisors. Right. And nearly a third of the managers, 31%, think their sellers still focus on features and functions. And a full 50% of the managers said their people know the customer's goal but struggle to align their solutions to those goals. So right. here's the question. That's the sales, that's on the sales manager. What the hell are they doing? <laughs> I mean, we talk about we talk about we talk about you know, change starts from the top down, and which is, I you know, absolutely true. But we have this issue in sales is that, quite honestly, sales leadership is the weak link in the chain. Yeah, it's tough because you know, especially especially first line sales managers, right? It's it's brutal in that they're being asked to do so many things. There be a lot of times they've been promoted from within because they were a really good rep. Well, a really good rep does not necessarily make a really good sales leader, right? So when they look sure. at how they're spending their weeks, are they really allocating coaching time 
and, and time to transform and really go through deals? Or is it more like a forecast session and spreadsheeting and spending time in CRM? So especially on the first line sales leader, it still needs to come from even higher than that because they, you need somebody to be able to clear the plate, make a statement that this is important and show the benefits of that transformation. So it comes right back to top down. Well, yeah, but I think it's more fundamental than that, and which is that, yes, you're absolutely right. Frontline managers are ill-equipped, for the most part, to do the jobs we're asking them to do, so it's a very tough job. But I think that that lack of enablement isn't just frontline managers. I mean, it's it's on up the chain, right? I mean, right. it's it's what does what does your typical VP of sales know about you know the science of performance improvement? <laughs> right. Well, Nothing. we're we're finding that number is around ten percent. I mean, yeah. I, when I do these things, I'm throwing penalty flags at sales enablement and sales leaders all the time because individual seller. I mean. Unless you give me the tools and, and the, the ongoing encouragement and, and I get to go to the President's Club every year, why am I going to change? I won't. Well, right. And but that behavior is being modeled at the very top, right? Is, is that I agree. The reason sellers, and I like to use the analogy. So here is assume that your, your sales manager, let's say even frontline manager, but it could be at any point in the chain, is, is let's say that you are the manager of a manufacturing plant. You're manufacturing widgets. And if, you know, take your 19% number, if four out of five widgets failed to work in the field, <laughs> wouldn't the manager... You have a quality be, control problem. Wouldn't the manager be fired? <laughs> I mean... Yeah, yeah. and ho- ho- hopefully before the company filed for bankruptcy. Yeah, and yet here you have, in your survey you cite in the book, sales managers reporting... Only 19% believe that their sellers are trusted advisors. I would think that all of them would have said, oh, shit. Right? But it's like, oh, yeah, only a fifth of them are. It's like, well, what, what are we doing about it? You have all these issues in sales, and you point out several in your book, starting with these three. And it's like, okay, who's, who is the change agent here? Because, yeah, I don't see these numbers changing a lot. Well, where we are, um, when they do adopt this, there there are best practices, right? That that requires the change management and long term behavior change, and making sure, like I said, over the long term, uh, that that sellers are transforming. I mean, sometimes the the organizations will tie it right to their HR plans. You need to demonstrate these competencies, or you're not going to get in or get promoted, or whatever the next thing is. I mean, you, can, you really can be disciplined around that. And what we're seeing and hearing more than ever, it's like we were almost ahead of this curve. Little did anybody know what 2020 would bring, but now we see people throw around value selling, value selling all the time, right? Mm. And you can ask five people what it means, and you'll get five different definitions. Oh, yeah. Well, I've got my we, own. I'm sick. Yeah, and everyone has their own definition of value but I'm right but yeah go ahead okay but the most the most you're right but the (laughs) most important lens through which to look to demonstrate value is through the customer's eyes and now that we are not looking eye to eye as much anymore these organizations are having a sense of urgency how do I capture that meeting how do I cut through this noise how do I get the attention and um this aligns just you know perfect perfectly with that 
little did we know, right? Little yeah. Well, did we know. Steven, you're about to say well, something. Yeah. And, 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 you know, Andy, even the basics, right? Mm. Cause we do this all the time. And one of the most basic, you know, this, this whole customer first inside, you know, lead selling, whatever, whatever you want to call it, but even basic things like, okay, I understand the goals of uh, how's what we going to do help. Or, hey, I'm a finance type, and, you know, I think everyone should know some base level. Okay, I understand, uh, you know, revenue growth. I understand direct cost. And the question we get asked all the time is, okay, so I sell automation. I sell cloud. I sell – how do we help? And that, to me, is not on the individual seller. That is up to sales enablement, sales leaders to say, look, here, here's our playbook. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's up to you to go apply it. But it's just it's just amazing how many people are talking the talk, but they're not walking the walk because they're not they're not giving their sellers the the enablement, the knowledge, the tools to go do this. And and buyers know it. That's why they don't want to talk to them. Oh, yeah. I mean, right. So there's a lack of focus on and, you, you know, Melody, you talked about this is is there's a lack of focus on. Yeah, how does the buyer experience how you sell? Right. Well, that's one of the things we did in the book, Andy, is we interviewed a dozen or so senior level executives. So all kinds of different roles to match the way that customers buy, as well as from companies like anything from like Topgolf to Home Depot to Mm -hmm. P&G and um, big companies, people who've had executive buyers who have who've had. P&L responsibility and veto, direct veto authority over literally billions and billions of dollars of spend. Mm-hmm. And, and what they tell us consistently is they all said things in different ways, just different styles. But they all said, tell me something I don't know, because 90 percent, 90 percent plus of our meetings with salespeople are just absolutely useless. Yes. And it makes us angry and it makes us angry with the seller and it makes us angry with the companies too, because sure. it's like, why are they putting people out there like this to come and stumble around and waste our time? It's annoying. I'm pissed. Right. So, well, this is, so and that's that, why they wanted to help us with the book. You know, how do I, it helps them too. Cause if people adopt this and actually glean some nuggets from it, it makes the buyer's experience better. Go figure. Well, yeah. Well, you, you look at what the impact I just posted about that this week. Um, in conjunction with my new book, which is that, yeah, what is the impact of a bad buying experience? And yeah, you see it in, yeah, reduced win rates, degradation, <laughs> degradation of your brand equity in the eyes of your buyers. Right. I mean, you still go down the list of things that have real financial impacts. Yeah, and we've had well, clients who, sorry, Stephen, we've had clients right. who um, have worked through this transformation and it is a mindset thing. It's like, Oh well, this executive doesn't care about our stuff. Our stuff is is for technology buyers alone. And once they adopt this and begin to ha- stretch, use that muscle and, and test the messaging and, and try something new, and it works. Just the confidence that they build, that they have, and and the excitement that it builds is just well. It's one of the most rewarding things about what we do. Really, is just you know hearing those wins and seeing these people grow in their careers. Well, and that's that's what Andy, you know, Melly and I are very positive people. So these those these are all the sad things, right? Like <laughs> sellers don't know what to do, and buying executives say eighty percent believe that sellers don't. know. So I mean, that's all the sad stuff, and and that's what Melly and I, you know, very very positive people have a lot of friends in sales. My 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 part of my background is being a, 
a, a former professor of finance, so I still have this, you know, kind of knowledge, mm-hmm. you know, knowledge will set you free thing. And that's why we said, hey, let's do this. Let's stop whining about this. Let's quit reading all these sad statistics. And it's it's really not that hard. It takes effort. There's no question. But let's do something about it. And that was really the motivation for writing the book. Like, I'm tired of reading all this sad stuff. Let's put something out there that folks can use practical mm-hmm. to say, okay, let's turn this around. Yeah. And I, it starts at a very basic level, right? Is And you have a quote from somebody, one of the executives you interview in your book, which really encapsulated is that the quote is, the salesperson should be more interested in learning about my business and stuff, telling me about theirs. Yep. It was Dean Myers. <laughs> and this is right. And this is this is something I address in my book as well. Is, is this, is, this is still the, the fundamental battle we're fighting in sales, this type of behavior. Yeah. Well, that was funny. The Dean, uh, we didn't put this in the quote, but he's a former VP of supply chain, all these very high-level positions right. at the Coca-Cola company. And he goes... He goes, I want the seller to tell me I got my ass chewed out by my boss because I was watching out for you. And he goes, then, then I know I got a trusted advisor. Yeah. So well, you actually, you do have that in the book. I mean, that's, that's uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's right. But it's, we're here. We are still you know, 130 years, 140 years, almost into the you know era of modern sales, quote unquote, modern sales. And yet this is still the most persistent problem we have is that sellers somehow think that their job is to talk about themselves instead of being interested in yeah. the buyer. Yep. Nope. It's like, how do we change this most fundamental things? Cause this is, this is something I struggle with all the time. And I get asked about a lot is like, yeah, why? Cause this is, this is, as I write about my book, suggesting a change is that, you know, these are not innate human behaviors. These are learned behaviors, right? to talk about yourself uh, before asking somebody about somebody else. So we're, we're wired to be curious and interested in other people. Yeah. Somehow when we put on our sales hat, we stop doing it. Yeah. And, and, and that's how we, we start off with, I mean, obviously a lot of this is the psychological aspects of it. And that's what, what Melly and I wanted to do in the book. What, what does good look like? I mean, you should, here's what you could aspire to. It's maybe not an easy road to start thinking about how executives think mm-hmm. versus how many countries you sell your product and here's all the people that have bought it. You know, all these, a lot of things as an executive, I, I could care less about. I just want to help me achieve goals and strategies and those type of things. But that's, that's, that's why in the book we say, okay, what, what does good look like? And here, here's a roadmap for doing that. And, you know, we, I know we keep saying the same thing, but if you don't have sales leaders and sales enablement in the boat, it, what I find is about 20% of the sellers out there, you show them this kind of stuff. It's like, got it. Mm-hmm. You never see them again. Right. You know, 20, 20% is just not in their DNA. I don't care what you do. It's not going to happen. So it's really, it's really that 60% in the middle that you really have got to have that nourishment uh, to help them. But they, they can do it. We've seen it too many times. Yeah. I mean, I, people basically, they want tools that will help them succeed. And right. yeah, I mean, maybe in some cases you're 20% or even part of your 60%. Yeah, maybe this is just the wrong type of selling for them. You know, it's just not a right fit for them. And that's that's very possible. Right. Um, but yeah, I think people appreciate, yeah, everybody sort of understands that, yeah, it's just not generally working across the board. It should be able to work for a greater percentage of the people than it appears to today. Yeah. Yep. And that's why we start with just the fundamentals of, okay, here's the landscape. Everyone, does everyone agree that this is, these are problems? Yes, 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 yes. 
this is a way to address it. And we make it simple. When we first, when we start to talk about financial performance and how executives think about financial performance and how they're measured against financial performance, you get the deer in the headlight saying, oh my goodness, I was a history major or, oh my goodness, I, I know technology, but I don't know numbers. Well, we break it down throughout the book um, to provide simple, easy frameworks to step them through to really pull out the complexities. So financial performance, for instance, you know, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. You call it different things across industries, uh, but, but it means three things, growth, profitability, you know, growth, how does money come in the door, profitability, what's their cost structure, mm -hmm. and uh, asset utilization. How are they using the things that's left over to grow, right. to continue to fuel the business? And you see, just when you start like that, and then you peel back the onion to say, well, for a bank, it's called, you know, banks care about efficiency ratio, but mm -hmm. a manufacturer cares about fixed asset utilization. You naturally start to weave in these la the language and, and attach it to the financial performance. And it's subtle, but that's, that's an executive kind of conversation, right? It's not we're installed in 800 countries across the world. I know there aren't 800 countries, but you know what I'm saying. 165, I'm Yeah. Yeah. Um, our, our company was founded in a garage. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, we talk about, you know, the three factors you talk about, revenue growth, profitability, and asset utilization. It begs to mind sort of a more basic question for sellers, which is, a gap that seems to exist that I see in the way that we educate sellers is that they just don't have the basic business knowledge. Yeah. You know, how do, how do businesses, right. how do businesses operate? You know, let alone, you know, let's get into the nuance of how they make money. You know, this particular company makes money or drives revenue growth. Yeah. Sellers just don't come into the sales world educated about business. No, only the business majors. And, and we're seeing that there are fewer and fewer. So well, I'd, ar I'd argue that, you know, even then, unless they've applied it in a real world situation, you still have to reteach right. it. Like everything yeah. else in the world, you still have to reteach right. it. Right. So, yeah. so what's what's sort of the barrier? Because you know, you guys come from this from come at this from sort of a, the more financial perspective. What's what's keeping companies from saying, okay, as part of our onboarding process, maybe our onboarding has can't be six weeks anymore. Maybe it needs to be ten weeks, and we need to have a month of just teaching our sellers about business. Yeah, and you're you're seeing some of that, but I mean, there's so much pressure on. Hey, get out in the field and sell, yeah. and then, quite frankly, you know, some some of the sales organizations or sales enablement they they don't get it, and then they say, oh, bring someone in to teach finance for non financial. And I mean, that isn't what you want. What you want is to say, hey, let's talk about how a business works. Oh, here's what marketing does. Here's what manufacturing does. Here's what you know, HR does. Oh, and by the way, here's how they keep score. It's this thing called gross profit margin. Right. Called. So the challenge is most of the financial education I've seen, uh, and I'm throwing another, another flags at a lot of us professors, uh, is is we just start, it's too high. I can't relate to it. I can't I can't imagine a marketing person saying I'm going to create this campaign, and I hope it's got a good response rate because here's how I'm going to drive revenues or or manufacturing saying, gosh, you know, if I could. Reduce the downtime. I could get more out the door, and that's going. So, so the the preferred approach to me is start with the basic. What do people do, and then how do they keep score with regards to whether it be financial or let's say operational KPIs like unplanned downtime. Right. But the the finance piece should almost be last. I tell people all the time: if you, as much as I love finance, I've done it my whole adult life. 
if you got a limited amount of time, go find out what the client's goals are. <laughs> yes. Because if you if you can't align with that and you don't understand who's supporting those goals, a lot of those goals, you can have all the financial knowledge in the world, and guess what? You're not going to be relevant. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I, I phrase it. Yeah, find out what's most important to the buyer and how you can help them get that. You know that, then yeah, everything else follows from that. Yeah. If you don't know that, you can have all the knowledge in the world and you'll be off target. Yep. And it's either not going to get the meeting or it's going to be a very short meeting. Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask you about something that is in the book, because um, this, this just comes up and it's, it's you know, not unusual. You, know, you had a quote from a customer or one of your people you interviewed saying, you know, they demand of sellers, tell me something I don't know in three minutes or this meeting is over. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, my f- initial reaction to that is, is well, how does a seller know what the buyer knows or doesn't know? So what, what, is, what is the best response to that? Because it comes up. Well, and a, a couple things. Uh, I mean, we, we heard like Steve Clancy, the CIO at Georgia Pacific, bring me something fresh. You had folks like Dar- uh, Don Garibaldi. From P&G, she said it. Candy Conway, senior VP of operations, AT, said. So I asked him, I said, listen, you what? You Tell me something I don't know. I mean, you guys have huge staffs. You've got all these consulting companies in there. What can a seller tell you that you don't know? And they said, look, look, look. We get heads down. People don't think we do. We get heads down. We put the blinders on. They see all these companies in the industry. So, yeah, ask me some questions, but... Let, let me know what are maybe some of the potholes or, you know, have, have you considered this? So their point was share with us the knowledge you've got from all these other companies, nothing confidential. And to your point, Andy, you know, ask. They, that's what they all said. Like, you know, kind of ask me what I what do you what are you trying? Have you tried this? Have you thought about this? You know, here here's where there's the potholes, the landmines type of thing. So that was a theme that came up over and over and over again. Yeah, and I, I write about it. I have a series of question types, and one of them sort of blends exactly with what you're talking about. I call it a, an insight question, which mm-hmm. is, yeah, that I think, <laughs> unfortunately, sellers are not enabled with enough of these. But, yeah, if you get a buyer that basically says something along the lines of what you just said, yeah, tell me something I don't know in three minutes. What I coach people and I've trained people on is you have what these want. This is insight questions, which is a, you're asking the buyer a question about something you might reasonably expect they would know about their business, but probably don't. And it's an insight that you glean from the work you've done with other companies, right? Right. Is, and it, it just continues to astonish me that, that we're not enabling sellers with these types of questions because this is a guaranteed conversation trigger, right? If you're asking a, a CEO about something or a high-level executive, something about their business that they probably should know but don't, they're going to right. want to. They're going to have a conversation about that. And, they're and gonna, if you're equipped with with how is how is the customer performing against the industry? How is the customer performing against their peers? Who's doing really well and who's not doing so well? The the whole point isn't to to poke you know poke at them and say hey you're really sucking wind here. It's to say I've spent the time to look at this and I have a curiosity around these topics. It's just so much better than just coming in with the standard discovery questions to try to figure out if, if mm-hmm. they're going to buy or not, you know? Yeah. Well, I figured if I can make the customer pause and think with the first question, then we're going to get off on a, the right foot. Right. 
because they're thinking in their mind, they're thinking, oh, there's some real insight there. Why, why don't I know this? <laughs> right. And how come these guys know this? And, oh, they're probably kind of smart. And as a first impression, that's a good first impression to make. True. So, Andy, I was on a, a call with sales sales enablement leader, I think it was last week, it doesn't really matter. But anyway, so their, their revenue growth is dropping, but then they've got this new, they're employing this new sales methodology that is really more value-based. And so I, I said to her, I said, wow, you know, I, I kind of have some insights as to why you're doing that, because I said, I've kind of noticed your revenues are trending downwards relative to your peers. Here's the three things I understand is going to be part of this new sales process. You know, tell, tell me about what you need to do to change. And she, it was, she was kind of at a loss. She was like, we need to start think, having them think about the customer. Uh, okay. Uh, here's, and I said, well, here's three things that we find really gets that jump started. And she just talked and talked and talked and talked. I mean, so, so for everyone out there, it's, it's not like you have to be a McKinsey consultant and be an industry expert and all these other things. Uh-huh. It's just, I think it's just basic sales 101. Be, you know, do your homework, but be curious. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. Is that simple? I mean, I I tell people a story. You know, back in my first sales job, eons ago, is is selling, yeah, a room full of computer equipment to to the construction industry for accounting purposes, and yeah, my first job as you know, calling on these CEOs, entrepreneurs that have founded these good sized construction companies, and you know, I looked sixteen and and didn't know a thing about business history major to Melody's point. Um, and yet I asked sincerely interested questions. And as long as I thought that I was sincerely interested in them and learning about them and what was important to them, they kept answering them. Right. And it seemed like pretty soon it was like, oh, well that's <laughs> not that it was easy, but like, oh, I get it. Right. Be more interested in them than you're on yourself and people spend time with you. And no matter where you are in your career, if, if you, yes. if you, right. So that's where it applies to the most senior sellers and, and, and newbies, right? Because the fact is, once you understand this and the performance and drivers of performance and how buyers are buying, that is a skill. All these business models can come and go and technologies can come and go. But when you really start to sell in this motion, it's a skill that will last throughout a career. I mean, companies, as long as, let me qualify that, as long as companies are in business to make money, this is a skill set that's relevant. <laughs> and so, do you foresee a time when the companies won't be in the business of making exactly. money? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I just wondered. Or won't be allowed to make a profit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we won't get into that. Yeah. <laughs> so, you so you're right that the executive buyers want three things from sellers. First, you said they want to learn something. We'd cover this. They've learned something that they don't already know. Uh, yeah, they want you to demonstrate you can help them achieve their desired business outcomes. Absolutely. And third, I think one that doesn't get thought about enough is is they want you to make their life easier. Right. So, and, and that's that's when we ask, what do you mean by that? And uh, I think it was I think it was uh, Ken May who answered this one. He used to be like the CEO of Top Golf and the CEO for Krispy Kreme. Very was at FedEx for a good while. Mm-hmm. And he goes, look, these people come in with these thirty slide presentations, and he said, look, I'm either going to catch up on my sleep or it's going to be a short <laughs> meeting. And 
Steve Clancy, the CIO of Georgia Pacific, said the same thing. Don't give me this 30-page deck. I got to go and, and socialize this with my colleagues. Get it down to one page. I, don't make me do your work. So it was just ba- basics. I mean, that, that's just one example of just, you know, you're still leaving a lot of the work to the executive buyer, and they're already pretty busy, and they're not going to do your work. So m- make it easy for them. Yeah, well, I think you have a great quote to that in the book. And maybe it was from your Clancy. I can't remember who, but... The quote was, if I'm going from a buyer, saying if I'm going to allocate my time to a buying decision, I can't afford for it to become a big project. And I thought, wow, yeah, that's such yeah. a great, such a great quote. And it and it speaks to a dimension about the whole issue of what buyers want that, that most sellers don't really grasp. Uh, which is they don't want it to become a big thing. You know, they don't want to spend six months to make a decision on something they could make a decision on in two months. If you do a better job as a seller. Right. And get on with it and get the benefits faster. And, and keep it simple, right? We don't need the long wind up. Get right to the point. Time is finite. Jog my interest right out of the gates. We, we don't need friends. We don't, you know, we don't need new golf buddies. We need somebody who's going to help us improve the business. And so further down in the book or as the seller moves through the sales cycle, it's the same thing as you're formulating a business case. Are there people in the in the company who who care about that detail? Absolutely. But how do you keep it simple and just give the headlines so those executives can can just get it and ask those questions that they need to? Don't do not do information overload. Some of the most successful proposals I've ever seen I've ever seen have been one page. That's all you need. Yeah. Well, I think that I mean I like to summarize what buyer's interest is, is saying that that's really very simple, is that buyers just want to quickly gather and make sense of the information they need to make an informed decision with the least investment of their time and attention possible. (laughs) Right, (laughs) exactly. And and if you can do that, you're golden. Which is is the C, right? The communicate with impact. It's get right to it. Yeah, I mean, there's... Yeah, I just yeah, you know, and you talk to companies about you know length of sales cycles and so on is is oftentimes you just see so much waste in there. Um, you know, activities that don't help the buyer make progress toward making their decision, that consume their time and attention, and they don't realize that you know, the impact, the negative impact, is having on the buyer's experience with them, and that they're being penalized for it. Yep. So. Um, we talked about the three dimensions you want to link to. The question that sort of came and talked about, you know, revenue, growth, profitability, asset utilization, talk about understanding the customers and the customer's business. But one thing I don't see frequently enough, certainly in the, a lot of the companies I work with, the SaaS world in particular, which used to be much more common, is sellers organized by sort of line of business specialization or vertical market specialization. And that too often sellers are being asked to be well, they're generalists, but being asked to be specialists in too broad a range of things. Interesting what you see out there. Um, well, it, we see we see it shift back and forth. It's like, okay, we need to we need to pull back on travel costs. You have a geography based territory, so you've got you know ten different customers across four different industries. Have at it. And then we'll then see, okay, well, we need to get more specific. So you have vertical alignment this time. So we actually see that that shift go back and forth quite a bit. Right. But there's, that 
but the buyers don't change, right? They still, they don't expect you to be an expert unless you're billing yourself as an expert. It's so easy to just get points of view around, okay, what is happening in manufacturing? What is happening in retail? And, and bring that curiosity along with just understanding the goals and strategies. So you can cast a big net to me. Uh, you know, I personally prefer vertical alignment. That's just me. But every organization has its own way of, of building things out. And so even still, um, you, you want to be able to have that same impact regardless of type of customer or type of industry. Yeah, and, and, and it is challenging. When you're asking me to call on banking and then call on manufacturing, mm-hmm. they've got completely different speak. Right. I mean, it's challenging. And that, that's, again, going back to sales leaders and sales enablement. Okay, well, what are the two or three key phrases in those different industries? And I keep saying this, but and how do we impact those? So, which a lot of times I just, you, you don't see. In fact, I was talking to an acquaintance of mine um, a little while ago, but he's, in wholesale distribution, and this guy comes in talking about some supply chain solution, whatever it was. But he was using, you know, ma- manufacturing terminology like right. capacity, you know, right. unplanned machine downtime and unabsorbed <laughs> and overhead. Steam is like, what are you talking about? Um, so yeah, yeah. I mean, we see it going. I, mean, I like verticals myself. I think that really allows you to specialize. But if, if you're not in that space, at least know some of the terminology or provide the sellers with some terminology and, and in an ideal world, some, you know, maybe some industry expert they can go to, which I see more and more of, but yeah, I mean, just speak, speak my language. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think as a seller, if you're listening to this is what I would do is, and what I did is I didn't have the mandate to specialize, but I did just because it made more sense. Right. Early mm-hmm. in my career is like, yeah, I didn't wasn't given the construction industry I mentioned before. Is I chose it a because there's a great application we were selling that that served it, but b is I wanted to become extremely knowledgeable about their business and be able to talk to them knowledgeably and ask the right questions, and not be selling to ten different industries. Mm-hmm. So you're a vertical guy too, then. I am, and I think it's <laughs> the smart way to align yourself. I think unfortunately, so many companies don't do it because they're afraid that. Yeah, they want to do just what you said, Melody. They want to cast a wide net. And, yeah, I think that success is more likely to come on the heels of focus than on being broader. Right. I mean, there's a time to be broad, maybe to understand what niches you should focus on. But once you've right. identified those, then you should focus, double down and focus on those. Right. I mean, that used to, um, it used to, the pendulum would swing based on, it's it's more expensive to travel, to cover, for a rep to cover a vertical-based territory, right? With the exception, you know, unless you're trying to sell insurance into Hartford or something, unless there's a real... But again, who knew what 2020 would bring and what does the new normal look like? So uh, I expect we're going to see more and more and more of that. I'm already seeing clients build build more marketing materials around vertical-specific, so... Yeah, Yeah, and unfortunately, (laughs) I think for too many companies that... 2020 became that spur to do things more intelligently is maybe just because I always came up in environments working with startups that um, we had constraints. We couldn't afford the money to travel uh, like big companies could. So yeah, even 20 plus years ago, we were selling mostly virtually uh, because we had to of necessity. And I think companies need to, as they start getting back into this idea, if they're going to you know verticalize, yes, they don't have a geographic territory is, 
use travel wisely. You shouldn't use travel to advance a deal you shouldn't be using on every interaction you have. <laughs> That's right. I mean, if you have to be face-to-face -to, -face to move a deal forward, then you've got another Thank issue you. that we need to talk about. Yeah. Um, all right, guys, that was great. So if people want to learn more about Finlistics or your book, what's the best way to do that? Melody? Well, um, you can go to our website, finlistics.com, or you can see us on LinkedIn or Facebook or any of the channels. Mm -hmm. And we also, Amazon, the book's on Amazon. Uh, the book's on, the audio book as well is, is there. Uh, Barnes & Noble, any of your book channels, we are, we are there. Did you guys take turn narrating the book for your audiobook? Uh, we, Melly and I did the introduction and the conclusion. Okay. Uh, and, and what's really funny, Andy, is I, I can get up in front of hundreds, if not thousands of people and just talk. Right. I love it. But as soon as that red light goes on, it's like, I forget how to talk. So I, <laughs> or read. We were, we were, read. yeah, we were encouraged to do it, but I'm like, I, it's too stressful, but yeah. So the book is, uh, insight led selling, uh, adopt an executive mindset, yep. build credibility and communicate with impact. And, uh, again, it, it's Andy, it's, it's not just me and Melody saying, here's what you should do, which is self-serving for us. Uh, but it's a lot of it's based, uh, on working with executives, interviewing executives. And so, uh, the, the other thing I'll add around going to, uh, thinlistics.com we have a lot of resources out there. You know, you're not going to show up also when we start twisting your arm. Uh, and we do a lot of like webinars. Uh, for example, we're doing one next week with a sales enablement specialist uh, who say, look, here, here's how you can set up a, you know, a sales, you know, insight-led selling program. So a lot of good stuff out there. I'm, I'm maybe still that professor me about give, you know, knowledge should be <laughs> right. free. Right. I don't know. Knowledge is free, uh, right. Yeah. yeah, you don't run anyway. a subscription business, clearly. <laughs> yeah, not me. Melody does. <laughs> right. So, okay. Well, guys, thank you very much. And uh, sure. look forward to talking again. All right. Thank Great. you, Andy. Thank you so much, Andy. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guests, Stephen Tim and Melody Astley, for sharing their insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for your help with that. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Good selling, everyone.